I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 9. Last week, I talked about why the sudden hatred for the Jews. And I want to talk about this a little bit more tonight. And I want to talk just a little bit tonight. I will only scratch the surface. So if you get questions, I love them. Andrew and Felix will take them. All right. But if you get questions, write them down, hold on to them, because I'm scratching the surface, okay? And we will be able to go through these scriptures, and if there's things you would like to talk more about, love to do it. Love to do it. I love to just study the Word with people that want to talk about the Word and, um, and, and just understand what we can about God's mind. Um, so I want to talk about this tonight, just jumping into it just a little bit, because this is a relevant topic, especially what's going on with Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah. And um, our nation is now in conflict with that. And we have found that there's a growing anti-Semitism in the world. And as well, there is a revival of this doctrine um, of replacement theology that says that the church has replaced Israel. And God has discarded Israel, and, um, and he is done with Israel. Uh, so I want to begin in verse 1 of Romans 9. And he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants, not just one, but the covenants. We went through many covenants last Wednesday night and the giving of the law, which is the Mosaic covenant and the service of God and the promises, which would primarily be the Messiah and all that comes with him. Also regarding Israel, whose are the fathers and of whom is concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. And he says, and I want you to see this. He says, not as though the word of God has taken none effect. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son." And he also makes this proclamation through Rebecca to continue the line of the Messiah and how the Messiah is going to be born and what lineage he will be from. And so this is a very important thing. And this is where I believe doctrinally some people become skewed in their theology and in their doctrine. 
and begin to think, see, not all of Israel is Israel in the church. And, and you, you'll begin to see that in Romans 9 through 11 that begins to teach not only replacement theology, but a lot of times this is where people get into Calvinism. And maybe we can visit that a little bit, not tonight, but we can visit that a little bit as well as we go through these particular chapters. And I encourage you to read them, Romans 9 through 11, because we're going to talk about them in, in some detail in the, in the future. Um, we have a lot coming up in December. I don't know how much of this we will, but we're going we're gonna to begin to cover these things. But the children of God will always be those of faith. Th- th- those are the ones that are in relationship with God, is those that are in faith. And we understand that God has this relationship with Israel because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he has established this covenant. He also established a covenant with David. And we know this specifically from the study we did last week about this relationship that God has with them. But this is the seed of faith. And in the beginning of chapter 9, verses, verses 1 through 5 and 6, we see that Israel is very specific. When, when Paul is dealing with the nation, he's very careful to denote what distinguishes Israel from other nations. And it's self-evident right there in the text that we read. For the sake of time, I won't go into that too much tonight. But it's very clear that there is this national Israel that has a relationship with God through the covenants. And theirs is the father's. But there's also this relationship that God has with what he calls the true Israel. And he talks about which is the seed of faith. And this is the great desire of God, you know, to to be in relationship with people On the basis of faith, the very righteousness of God comes to us because of faith. And so in that, we also find that there is another group. He said, not all Israel is Israel, right? So it it immediately shows us there's more than one. And so there's the nation of Israel. And I'm going to just cut to the chase with this and talk about there is the seed of faith. And the seed of faith is that which is in agreement with God and in relationship with God on the basis of faith and not on the basis of works or on the basis of the law. And so they have that relationship. We could specifically refer to this as the church. The church is that body of Christ which is composed of both Jews and Gentiles. And in Christ, we understand from the Paul's epistles that there is neither Jew nor Gentile in Christ. The church is something very unique. The church was not always here. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, not even the prophets or the patriarchs understood the church. They did not really speak to the church. And so when they spoke of the kingdom of God, they were primarily speaking about the kingdom of God that would eventually come into the earth and fill the earth with the glory of God and deliver the earth from the bondage that it was in. But it was not until Jesus Christ, when he began to confess the establishment of his church, and then particularly with Paul the apostle, who was given the very unique revelation of the church. 
To that was given Paul. We know that Paul said to the Corinthians, listen, I was caught up to the third heaven. I've seen incredible things that are not even lawful for me to talk about. And as a result of that, God has allowed this messenger of Satan to buffet my flesh so I wouldn't become so arrogant and proud that God couldn't use me. And so Paul says, all of these revelations that I've had, well, one of those revelations was the church of Jesus Christ. And no book better expounds the revelation of the church than the book of Ephesians. And it is there that Paul confesses, God has given me the understanding of this mystery. And that mystery is, is that he's broken down the middle wall of partition. There is now peace with God, both access to God by the Jews and by the Gentiles through the blood of Jesus Christ. And those two are made one. And that church exists specifically to be the habitation of God by the Holy Ghost. The church is in a very unique relationship with God, for it is the body of Christ. That's what Paul says. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that the church is the body of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the head of that body. The church is unique in in that regard. And so I just want you to understand that. Now, in Romans chapter 11, there is more that Paul says, and I think it's important for us to understand the scriptures. And he says in verse one, I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid. And he's talking about specifically Israel. Has God cast away his people? God forbid. For any, And he identifies this, not so much as a people of faith, But this nationality of Israel, the people of God, this covenant that he made with them. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. He's being very specific now to his Jewish roots. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he makes intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed the prophets, dig down your altars. I'm the only one left, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God to him? He said, I've reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time, also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So let me, let me say this. The first people that were used by God to form the church of Jesus Christ were Jews. They were the first ones. The cornerstone of this house we call the church is a Jew. It is Jesus Christ of the seed of Abraham and the seed of David. And so there has always been a remnant of believing Jews. Since the church was formed, there have been Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Since for the last 2,000 years, the only people believing in Jesus were not Gentiles, but both Jews and Gentiles have been believing. But the vast amount of people believing in Jesus Christ are, of course, Gentiles. And the purpose of that is to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Now, for the sake of time, and I encourage you to read all of 9 through 11, I'm going to jump to verse 12. 
And he says, now, if the fall of them, so he talks about the fall of Israel. There is this, this tense situation with the nation of Israel and God. There really is. When Israel made a great rebellion against the Lord and demanded that Rome crucify the Messiah, they cried, let his blood be on us. And they rejected the Messiah. They rejected him and they turned their backs on him. And so God, if you will, they, they, Paul calls it the fall of the Jews or the putting aside of the Jews. But it's not forever. Has he cast his people away, which he foreknew? God forbid. So they're just put aside, but they're still being saved. They're still coming to faith in Jesus Christ. What's the proclamation of Paul's gospel in Romans chapter 1? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And it's not that the gospel just went to the Jews first, though it did, but it's also the power of God to save Jews as well as Gentiles. And we should never be afraid to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Jewish people. Bill and Marcel are a great testimony of that, who lead our church into a lot of evangelism with the Jewish people. And so he says in in verse 12, Now the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. That speaks of their restoration. If the fall of them has brought us such blessing, imagine their restoration what that's going to bring. And so he says in verse 15, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what, imagine what the receiving of them will be but life from the dead. And, and it, will be, it really will begin to be that manifestation of the kingdom of God. In verse 18, this is a warning to Gentiles, boast not against the branches, but if you boast... You bear not the root, but the root thee. Don't boast against the Jews because you have become a believer. But understand, because of the Jews, God has been able to fulfill his promise. So don't speak against them because they bear us up. Remember, our Messiah, our Savior is Jewish. Yes, he's eternally God who became man, but he's Jewish. And and the apostles were Jewish. And, and we can never lose that. We can never lose sight of that. And so this speaks of the restoration of Israel. And we shouldn't boast against the nation of Israel. And, and in replacement theology, you often hear that. There seems to be this real disdain, this, this ugly, bitter speech towards the nation of Israel. But he says in verse 19, but what thou will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. They, they, they weren't broken off to make room for you. They were broken off because they didn't believe. So, so don't boast, you know, oh, God loves us more. Don't boast about that. And it says it was because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand by faith. So don't be high minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not you. Now, verse 25, for I would not, brethren, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part 
is happened to Israel until that means there's going to be an end of this blindness. Praise God until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. Praise the Lord. We're talking about the nation. So all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And it's very beautiful. This promise that is given is just very beautiful. Let me read to you um, a picture of that, of that moment because it's captured in one of Israel's ancient prophets and it's very beautiful what he says. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And this is talking about certainly the return of Jesus Christ, their mourning. And this is Zechariah 12, 9 through 11. And in that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadramanum. That's as good as I'm going to do it. In the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn. Every family apart, the family of the house of David and their wives, the family of the house of Nathan and their wives of Levi and their wives. And it just goes through all this, all the families that remain, every family apart and their wives apart. And then this fountain in chapter 13, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it's beautiful because this is the return of Jesus Christ to earth. This is when the nations of Israel are surrounding, or or the nations of the world are surrounding Israel and gathered in the valley of Armageddon. And this is the sure annihilation of the nation of Israel, unless there's intervention from God above. And this is when Jesus Christ returns to earth. And when he is returning to earth, the nation of Israel is going to recognize his wounds. There's another passage that says, where did you receive these wounds? And he's going to say, when I was in the house of my friends. And they are going to recall, they're going to know, because God is going to pour the spirit of repentance out upon Israel. And they're going to know that Jesus Christ who came a couple of thousand years ago that we crucified was indeed our Messiah. And now they're going to weep for him and they're going to mourn for him, which is repentance. And they're going to believe on him. And this fountain is going to be opened up in David and Jerusalem. And Israel is going to believe and they're going to be saved. And they're going to be reconciled to God now, not because of the Mosaic law, but they're going to be reconciled to God by faith. And they will be not only Israelites, but true Israelites this nation of believers in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And and we must never forget that. We we, we must not allow ourselves to just listen to what's floating around out there, but we must go to the word of God to really understand it. 
And so there's going to be a return for Israel. There's going to be a time when the blindness is taken away. And there's going to be a restoration of this nation. And it's going to be glorious. And it's, and it's going to have the absolute most profound impact upon the whole world. I mean, if their falling away was the riches of the Gentiles and the, and the, and the redemption of the Gentiles, imagine what their restoration is going to be. It's just going to be absolutely incredible. The deserts are going to bloom. The trees of the fields are going to clap their hands. The mountains and the, and the hills are going to shout to God. And the curse that we see even in the heavens is going to begin to be lifted during the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. Absolutely glorious and splendid because of the bringing in of the Jews and the, the gathering together of them to their king. And, and I believe it's going to happen this way. I'm just going to take this little tangent for one second. And the, the Bible speaks of the feast of the Lord. And remember, these are the feasts of the Lord. And a lot of times people try to put the rapture of the church at the feast of trumpets for some reason. I really don't know why, but every time, you know, September comes along and it's a feast of trumpets, the church is like, it's, it's, these are feasts for Israel. These are the feasts of the Lord. And this, the, the Bible says specifically, the Lord has an appointment with Israel. And these are dress rehearsals, if you will, for specific moments in Israel's future that God is going to meet with them. And, and I'm just going to lay it out for you. You can study it yourself. But when Jesus died, he died at the very moment of Passover. When they were killing the lambs, that's when the lamb was dying. And he laid his life down. He, he breathed his last by his own will and power. And he gave his life to his father. And then when Jesus, he was, it wasn't like 10 years later that he was put in the grave. He was immediately put into the grave. And, and when we see that, that's the feast of unleavened bread that immediately follows Passover. And then three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. And this is the feast of first fruits. And it happened to the very moment. It had happened to the very day. It wasn't like, okay, Jesus died on the day of Pentecost, on the day of Passover. And maybe, you know, six years from now, we'll do the feast of first fruits. No, it all happened simultaneously to the very hour, to the very day, to the very moment. And then what was it? 50 days later, then the feast of Pentecost happened to the day. It wasn't years through this, but we've had years now waiting on the final three feasts of the Lord. And these are appointments that God has with Israel. And those final three feasts are the Feast of Trumpets. And, and specifically, the Feast of Trumpets is a warning. It's what Joel says, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, because this is, a, this is the alarm of war. And this is the alarm of danger. And that's what the Feast of Trumpets is specifically warning Israel about. Read it and understand that. It's not an escape. It's a conflict. And so then you have the Feast of Trumpets and and then you have the Feast of Atonement that, that happens right after the Feast of, of Trumpets. And, and, and the Atonement is when Jesus Christ returns. That's his second advent. And that's when Israel is atoned for. They look upon him whom they've pierced. And then immediately following atonement is going to be the Feast of Tabernacles, where God tabernacles among his people. And all of the people come and they put their tents around Jerusalem and they dwell in the presence of the king. And it's absolutely festive. It's the most joyful feast of all. I believe the last three feasts are going to be fulfilled exactly like the first four were. And so I believe this pertains to Israel at the end. And so that Feast of Atonement is when Jesus returns and Israel is born again, if you will. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. Really quick, 
what, what is different about us? And what is different about us is we're not looking for an earthly kingdom. In Hebrews chapter 12, if, if you will turn there, Paul tells us what about us as far as the church. We've come to something different. We've not come to an earthly Jerusalem. We've come to something that's spiritual and something that's heavenly. And he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, But you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's what you've come to. And, to, and that's very important. And, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of, of Abel. And that's what we've come to, and it's absolutely beautiful. I'm reading in Revelation, and I, I'm, I know I'm moving kind of quick, but we're going to jump back over some of this in the, in the weeks to follow. But in 21 of Revelation, John said, I saw a new heaven. This is very important. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. There's, there's a city that is going to be removed from heaven and relocated to earth. That is the new Jerusalem. Remember, Hebrews 12 says that's what we've come to. That's the city of our God. That's the Jerusalem we're going to live in. And so he says that this city comes down from God out of heaven. Verse 2, it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Praise God, he wipes all tears from our eyes. No more death, sorrow, crying, pain. The former things have passed away. He makes everything new, and he's going to see to it that it is done. And in verse 9, he says, Come hither, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And, and so John sees the city and, and he understands this city to be the city of God. And he talks about it having this great glory. In verse 12, it has a wall that's great and high with 12 gates. And on the gates are the names written of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he talks about the foundations of the gates. And, and he talks about in these foundations, all of these precious stones. And there are 12 gates and all of these beautiful things. And the names of the apostles are written in it. And when he sees the city, it's not so much the, the Jesus marrying streets of gold. It, it, it's the joining together. It's, it's making the two one. It, it is joining together the, these promises of God. But the church is the church and the nation of Israel is the nation of Israel. And when Israel is born again, it does not become the church and the church does not become Israel, but they're married just like a man and a woman, the two are made one. Well, they're still two distinct groups. There's two distinct people, but they become one. They're joined together. And that is a mystery that speaks of Jesus and his church. But we also see this marriage in Revelation and how it's going to actually unfold is going to be a spectacular thing to watch. 
and to behold. But there is going to be this marriage supper of the Lamb. And what, and what all that looks like and this wedding and this joining together of the bride of Christ that actually involves this city with the names of the apostles and the names of the patriarchs. I believe it's just joining together in one in that marriage all of the people of God, just putting them together somehow. But we're going to look at that more when we have time. In 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to close with this. I just want you to see this about the church, about that which is born again. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the glory that is going to be given. And he says in verse 42... So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How be it? That was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth. He's earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, We shall also bear the image of the heavenly and corruption and mortality is not going to enter in into the kingdom of God. And so we as the church have this incredible promise that we are going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that we are going to receive in the resurrection, this spiritual body um, that is going to be different than the body that we're in right now which is a body of flesh and blood. But we're going to receive a body like Jesus's, which is flesh and bone, and which has incredible capabilities that this human body does not have. And and that's very, to me, that is extremely exciting. And if I could break my promise, one more scripture. Hebrews chapter 3. I I just really want to share this with you. In Hebrews chapter 3, this is so important. The reasons... Some do not come to this life now is only because of one thing. With the nation of Israel, it was because of one thing. They did not believe. And the only way you can come in is by believing. It is by faith. The entrance is by faith. And when you come into Christ and you enter into the new covenant, you enter into his rest. You really do stop feeling this necessity of trying to earn God's favor because it's been given to you. In our school today, we watched a a little video by John Lennox, and he said the difference between Christianity and every religion is that Christianity is different in this regard. Acceptance from God comes at the very beginning. And you never spend your time in your Christian faith, trying to gain God's acceptance. It was given to you at the very beginning and you live the rest of your Christian life loving and enjoying God. But every other religion, your final exam is at the end. And you could have had the greatest teachers and you could have done the greatest work and the greatest homework, 
but not until the end will you know if you were accepted or not, because it's on the basis of merit and the basis of works. And he says this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And I, w- I want to encourage you, if you go study Romans chapter 9 through 11, with the consideration of Calvinism in your mind and how people could get into the subject of Calvinism and believe that kind of teaching, you've got to understand, and the fundamental thing is this, that when people come into Romans 9 through 11 and begin to, to, to teach Calvinism because God makes this sovereign choice and election, this is the election of God. I choose to elect anybody who believes me. And I do not elect those who choose to work to try to enter into my kingdom. And beloved, this has infuriated the Jews for the last 2,000 years because they have worked so hard under a bondage of rules and oppressions that they cannot fulfill. And you're just going to come in because you believe. And the only reason the Jews don't come in is their refusal to believe. So I say to you, don't be an unbeliever. God wants to grant you acceptance at the entrance, and he wants you to walk with him in joy, love, and life now, not just hoping you get it one day, but you can have it now. That's all I've got for tonight. Um, I just want to be mindful of some people that do have finals tomorrow, but I, I want us to just take a moment, and I want us to pray because I don't think we do this enough. But I want us to pray for the salvation of Jewish people. And I want us to also pray for the salvation of Muslim people um, who are also in a, a, a great deceit because they think they are the heirs of Abraham. And so I just want us to pray for them. And they're going to lead us in some worship. Um, if you know anybody that's taken a final this week or, or coming into their test, maybe go over to them tonight and pray with them. Pray the Lord gives them strength and, and help and great success in their, in their test. Father, I thank you tonight. We just give you the glory that we can come and we can pray and we can believe that the gospel is still for the Jew, that it still has power to convince the Jew of the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Open their eyes to see that their father Abraham knew you this way and that they too can. I pray, God, that you would give us a great zeal to see the lost come to faith in Jesus Christ, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, those of Muslim beliefs and backgrounds, those worshiping false gods. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be so strong within the body of Christ there'd be an attractiveness of Jesus that would compel men to you. Lord, give us the spirit of intercession to pray for the Jews, to pray for the people, and to realize, Father, that we've been very fortunate and blessed to be grafted in. It wasn't natural. We were wild, but you made us fit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. And we are mindful that you still love Israel. 
you still love them and you long for them to be saved. Just tonight, just begin to intercede right now for Israel. Begin to pray. Just take this moment to pray. Their conflict that they're in, the peace of Jerusalem, the growing hatred for the Jews around the world.